Yo, what is up everyone? This is the Twice Over Film Club and I'm your host Faraz. As you can tell from this mic quality, I am not at my home studio, but don't worry, we will get back to regular releases soon. In the meantime, today we're looking back at our discussion on the 2013 film Prisoners, directed by Denis Villeneuve. I'm sure many of you are excited for Dune later this year, and Denis happens to be one of our favorite directors, so if you're not familiar with him, Maybe hearing our thoughts on his movies will give you an idea of why we hold him in such high regard. We've also done an episode on his film Incendi, so check that out as well. Right, for this it was me and Yusuf. Let's get to the episode. So, did we pass? What's that? What did you say? The poly thing, the lie detector we took this morning. Did we pass? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes, we appreciate your cooperation. It's embarrassing, all the, all this fuss. Everyone's going to think we're crazy when those two come out of hiding wherever they are. Do you have some reason to believe they ran away? No. They're happy. They must have run away. I think I must run away, right? Welcome everyone to the Twice Over Movies podcast. Today we are discussing Prisoners 2013 movie directed by Denis Villeneuve. I'm your host Faraz and... I'm Yusuf. What it do, baby? It do pretty good, man. We got a good movie we got today, so it's going to be a good discussion. I agree. So this movie was picked by you, Yusuf. So you want to tell us any reason why you picked this movie? Um, so I'm uh, I'm generally a fan of thrillers, um, and I think this is a thriller that uh, it really gets a lot right. Um, it has a lot of the elements of a typical thriller, but beyond that, it's just... Uh, a pretty complete movie, in my opinion. Um, and so I thought I'd get your thoughts on 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 this one as well. So is this your first time seeing this? Or have you seen it before? No, I had seen this before. I watched this in the theaters. Dennis Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors, so I usually follow most of his movies. And yeah, you, you classified it as a thriller. I would put it more as a mystery movie. Uh, but obviously, it's also a thriller. But it's like a slow burn with like proper thriller elements within it. It's it's just a very, very well-made, great movie. So I get why you would pick it, and I get what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just it, there's no cheap tricks uh, in the way that they pull off uh, this movie, like there are for you know a lot of thrillers. Um, generally, they uh, they take their time with this one. So. Okay, so let's get started with the scores. I'll get started. We said we'll discuss acting first. My score for acting was a 95. I thought this was a near-perfect movie when it comes to just the acting. The only reason I didn't give it 100 is because there's some uh, child actors, and uh, I'm not saying that they were bad or anything, but they're just good. But the main characters, played by Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, these guys were phenomenal probably the best acting for either of them that have i've ever seen but yeah so what do you think about the acting i have it as a 95 as well man uh this is a pretty impressive cast jake gyllenhaal hugh jackman uh we got viola davis terrence howard um and some uh melissa leo if you're familiar with her i wasn't very familiar but um she's another very good actor so like they've got a pretty complete cast here i do think you can be a little bit nitpicky and you know there's a little there's some points that you know maybe you could take issue with but overall yeah i mean these guys not only are they individual actors at a high level but they play off of each other really well in this movie you can really see a lot of chemistry especially between jake gyllenhaal and hugh jackman and jake gyllenhaal i mean i i i I struggle to think of a movie that I haven't really enjoyed his performances, but you're right. This is, I mean, this is, you know, prime Jake Gyllenhaal acting. So uh, I really thought that they killed it. And especially, you know, working off each other as foils, they were great. You could take issue again, yeah, with the child acting maybe, but uh, that's, that's you know, that's a minor issue to me. So It is. I mean, we're giving it a 95. They were definitely sufficient for, you know, the roles they were playing. Well, speaking of Jake Gyllenhaal, right? So he has a pretty similar role that he had in Zodiac, but it's also so distinctly different because he's also a detective in Zodiac as well, right? Trying to solve something that's going on. He finds himself in these like creepy movies a lot. And sometimes he sometimes he's the creepy guy like in Nightcrawler and sometimes he's adjacent to it like in this or in Zodiac and yeah he brings a lot to the character as a detective uh, a lot of specifics that you know really 
you know, dive into the the mind of the character. So, yeah, it's really different from what he portrayed in Zodiac, but, you know, just as impressive, I thought. Uh, and Hugh Jackman, on the other hand, um, shows a different kind of, I mean, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal shows you a lot of the persistence that you expect of a detective. And then Hugh Jackman kind of shows you a, a different side of things. Um, you know, he's a survivalist in this movie, essentially. And so he... You know, he has this attitude of handling everything on his own and being responsible for his family and not relying on anybody, not even relying on society, really. So, I mean, he he brings kind of a, uh, I don't know, like a grisly nature to to his character, I guess uh, I want to say. And uh, those two kind of butt heads a lot. And just again, like it was kind of phenomenal to see them go back and forth. Let's talk about the direction and the plot. I gave this an 85 I thought it was, like I said, we said it's a mystery slash thriller movie. And considering that, the way that the story keeps the audience engaged, it's like you're at the edge of your seat for most of the movie. It's paced very well, laying down clues here and there, but it's like subtle. So you're not, it doesn't give anything away. There's very little confusion, but still there's questions that you have as an audience. And it says, it says very well done. And then there's the, like what I mean by pacing is you have that slow burn of trying to solve this mystery, but then you have like the thriller aspect of when things start picking up really fast. I went, I went full hundred on this one, man. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm channeling my, I'm channeling my inner Faran. So, um, but like, look, like this movie, I thought the story and the way that the direction is uh, carried out in this movie is really special. There are, a lot of red herrings, which is good for kind of a mystery thriller type movie, but I didn't feel like any of that was wasted. Um, every element that is brought into the story kind of plays a role um, and it all pieces together pretty well like a puzzle. I, I you know, like I want to get into, as, you know, some specific sequences that I thought were just amazingly done. So we will definitely do that. But, you know, it, it, there's there's almost a balance here where things tie up very neatly in a way that's like, I, I was tempted to think like, man, this is kind of annoyingly neat, you know, like it's too perfect. But the problem is that, you know, the, I mean, not the problem, but the, the reason I didn't find that a problem is that they don't kind of wave that around in your face, right? It's not obvious what's really going on. Nothing is given away too much. But, you know, when you kind of sit back and look at the bigger picture after you watch the whole movie, I, you know, there's not a wasted scene in my opinion. So I, I just, I love the way that the story unfolds um, and the way that it's presented on screen. I thought it was just phenomenal. I get it. I get it. I can see why you would give it a hundred. My only like real gripe with it is that it wasn't uh, so unique. Okay. I mean, fair enough. Well, we can talk about it more. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was kind of uh, Chekhov's gun at its finest, right? Uh, Chekhov's gun being just the concept that every element that you bring into a story should uh, should play a larger role somewhere later in the story, right? Um, you know, if you if you hang up a gun on the wall in one scene, then that gun needs to be fired before the end of the movie. Um, and so, I mean, I thought that that is executed perfectly in this movie. So, yeah, I had to go full hundred on this one. So, all right. So, writing is up next. Writing, I gave this a eighty. The writing was again, it's a quiet movie. It pushes the story. It packs in a lot in like what very little is generally said, if you think about it. But the only reason it's an 80 and not like above that is I didn't think like the story that is pushing is so unique in itself that it deserved a higher score. Yeah, that's still that's still, you know, an above average score. So um, I went 90 on this. Um, I thought a lot of the dialogue is really good. Uh, there's a lot of conversation that goes on in this movie that kind of just demonstrates kind of the confrontation of like the sets of belief between the characters, right? Um, and the 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 conflicts there. Um, and that's kind of a rolling thing throughout the entire movie, right? Uh, you know, kind of the different sets of beliefs that each character brings to the screen and how they deal with that, uh, you know, in the midst of the, you know, the horrible situation they find themselves in. Um, and on the other hand, they also do a lot without any dialogue to your point, right? You know, they, they use silence in a really good way. So, you know, they, they don't end up wasting any dialogue. Uh, I, so I, I thought that kind of those two things put together, uh, kind of make all the dialogue really special to me. So, um, yeah, I went with the 90, um, I can see, yeah, there, there, there's some things that, you know, we can probably get into that, you know, maybe are not so special. But overall, I thought they did a good job of 
just again putting putting value in every piece of dialogue that they put on the screen. So yeah, and you mentioned in your writing score in the description that the themes and motifs that they have in the dialogue and what it leads to. So let's talk about the themes and motifs. I give this an 85. It's obviously a pretty big element of the movie. Uh, and it's in your face a little bit in the beginning, especially like it starts with like the Lord's Prayer when they're hunting outside. And then you just have a lot of symbolism when it comes to like these pendants, these mazes, uh, the cross. Like it's just it's really like in your face. Like you're supposed to see that it is playing a big role in the movie itself, in the story. So it's a big element of the movie. With that said, I gave it an 85. I thought it was pretty well done. The only reason it's not like higher than an 85 is... I just thought it was a little too in your face. Okay, fair enough. Um, I had this as uh, a 95, so I'm pretty high on this one too. Uh, there is a lot going on in terms of themes and motifs. Uh, particularly, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of playing out of kind of different types of mental strife um, across different different walks of life in this movie. Um, and they really, I thought they did a really good job of portraying how we all deal with with crisis differently. Um, and I mean, the, the, the thing that was impressive to me is that, you know, I'm not talking about like just seeing, you know, two contrasting examples of how people deal with crisis. I think there's about 10 examples of how people deal with things in different ways and, you know, how they deal with anguish, uh, in this movie. So, you know, every character kind of has a different perspective on that. Um, and I, I mean, I, I really thought that they did a good job of never getting away from that and all and, you know not being repetitive in what they were showing you so i i thought that there's you know there's a lot going on in terms of the themes and motifs um there's a lot of characters that you don't want to feel sorry for but you do in the end you know there, there's there's a lot of conflicting feelings here so that all plays out because of again just the way that people deal with things in life right so i, I thought it was kind of a, a true depiction of the you know, the complexities. I mean, I agree with you like 90% of what you said. The only thing that you said I don't agree with, I did feel like it was a little repetitive. I mean, I get it. Like you only have to show it to me like once or twice, not like every fifth scene. Like, oh, okay, I get it. This guy's very Christian. He's trying to morally explain his behavior, which is not good behavior. Clearly it's immoral behavior. But like, I thought it was a little repetitive. Still very well done. Still very good. Yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with you there. There there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of you know pushing forth the Christianity, right? And um, I guess so particularly with Hugh Jackman's character, there is a bit of repetition in him trying to trying to convey kind of his mantra, I guess. So uh, exactly. you know, I, I definitely did see that now that now that you mention it. So um, yeah, fair enough. All right, photography and cinematography. You mentioned uh, during the direction and plot stuff that it was so perfect. Uh, I kind of felt that about the photography and cinematography. The colors, the shots, the feel, like the staging, everything was just so purposeful. It was consistent. It fell just in perfect line with the story. So I did give it a 95. I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just, it's just super, super well done. Yeah, um, I gave it a 90 as well. I thought it was really good. The movie, well, first of all, had to operate in the dark quite a lot. Uh, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I, I lost much in terms of the picture by doing that. In fact, that only enhanced kind of my experience there. Um, and then in contrast, there's also a lot of these beautiful shots kind of showing, I don't know, like idyllic suburbia, basically. Um, and that's in extreme juxtaposition with the 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 nature of the situation that the characters are working through. So, I mean, there was kind of really good. Uh, contrast there, I thought. So they did a really good job, uh, you know, not only with the the dark scenes, but also the light scenes and kind of showing a contrast between the good and bad in life constantly. I thought they did a really good job with that. So um, yeah, I gave it a 90. Um, and yeah, you went even higher. So there you go. All right. So that concludes our scoring portion of the episode. Now we're going to get into the actual discussion in which there are a ton of spoilers. So this is your fair warning for a spoiler alert. Prisoners is a story of two young girls, Anna and Joy, who are kidnapped on a Thanksgiving afternoon in suburban Pennsylvania. Anna's father, Keller, a devout Christian and a survivalist, is not happy with how Detective Loki and the police department are going about finding the girls. The police immediately find a suspect, Alex Jones, and his RV where we saw the girls playing on Thanksgiving Day. 
but the police let him go due to the lack of evidence connecting Alex directly to the girls. But Keller decides he's going to kidnap Alex and question him because he's convinced Alex knows something. In the meantime, we have another young man, Bob Taylor, who is a potential suspect. He is later arrested for having bloody children clothes at his home. That ends up being a false flag, and through Keller's further torture of the kidnapped Alex, we are led to Alex's aunt's house, whose name is Holly. And indeed, she ends up being the one who actually kidnapped the girls. Alright, now that you guys know how the story goes, let's get into the discussion of it. So Yusuf, what part of the story do you want to start with? Did you want to start with the acting? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Let's start with the acting. Let's uh, let's get into that. So, um, you know, like, like like we talked about uh, at the top of the show, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman were, you know, amazing in this movie. Um, you get a lot of contrast between their two characters. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal being the by the book detective and Hugh Jackman being this guy who pretty much sees himself as fending for himself in this world um, and is willing to do whatever he feels is necessary to, you know, protect his interests, particularly protect his family, which is kind of at the center of his character. So, you know, you're constantly seeing the back and forth between them. And I thought that was, you know, fascinating to see on screen because quite frankly, they're not the most different characters, but you know, that one trait of theirs kind of creates a huge amount of contrast. Yeah, I get what you're saying here, because as different as these two characters are, Jake Gyllenhaal's uh, character, Detective Loki, and uh, Keller Dover, Hugh Jackman's character, they're so alike in the sense that they both are so sure of themselves in what they are doing. Like, Detective Loki is confident that he knows what he's doing. When he goes out for like questioning and stuff, when the girls initially get kidnapped, you can kind of see like this arrogance that he has with him when he's like taking notes when I think it's Keller who's like, hey, shouldn't you be writing this down? And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Because he's thinking to himself like, all right, these guys are giving me useless information. <laughs> yeah, that's in the that's in the scene where uh, he goes to the he goes to the Dover household because the wife the wife Grace the wife Grace says that she 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 thinks some she thinks her daughter came home and then left through the window and so he goes there and he he knows this is BS he's looking at the pills on the counter and he's thinking you know she doesn't know what she's talking about and she's like yeah aren't you gonna write this down and then he kind of takes out his pad and he's like open window yeah, reluctantly just write something down for the sake <laughs> yeah. of it. But like he has this in him because he, uh, they tell us early on that Detective Loki has never had a case that hasn't been solved. So like, be confident that he'll figure this out. He'll find your daughters, this and that. He has this uh, pride that he's like walking with. But at the same time, you can tell he's like unsure. Just the same way, this is, comes into the themes and motifs, the same way that Keller's character, or sorry, Hugh Jackman's character, Keller, like they are so sure of themselves that when they have to question what they're doing, like they, they seem to kind of lose it and like it starts unraveling in front of them. We see this culminate with Detective Loki when Bob shoots himself and he's dead and Detective Loki is just totally lost and doesn't know what's, doesn't know where the case is at now he's just looking at that maze that bob was working on goes out over to his desk and like you know just lets his frustration out and at the same time you have keller who's torturing alex and he has him enclosed in that like i guess like a bathtub or like a standing shower basically with this hot water and he's just burning him with the water and he's he's like losing it he's like why are you making me do this yeah, it's 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 uh these guys like played these roles so well. It's in my opinion the best part of the movie, and I think my score like reflects that. You, you highlighted you highlighted two scenes that were really hard to watch as well. You know, like I mean, you can you can feel them. You know, doing they've they've kind of gone beyond uh, their their internal limits uh, to a degree. There, right? You know, uh, Keller with you know, torturing Alex Jones in the shower and then Loki, who is very much by the book, but he loses it in the interrogation room with Bobby, Bobby Taylor. Is that his name? Um, yeah. The, yeah, with the the other interrogation suspect. And so, I mean, th they're they're getting pushed beyond their limits there. Um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I, I, those two scenes were so difficult to watch, but you can really feel the character struggling with where they're ending up uh, morally or, you know, uh, what do you think about, um, so let's talk about the themes and motifs a little bit here. So you have Keller who's dealing with this moral dilemma. He has now kidnapped someone 
Well, first of all, no one believes like what he heard. So when Detective Loki and like the police department let Alex go and Keller goes up to him and uh, basically wants to talk to him man to man, but he's clearly super aggressive at doing so uh, that the cops have to pull him off. But uh, Alex does say something, right? He says, he says, um, he says they didn't start, they didn't, they didn't start crying until I left them. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. That's an admission that he, he was with the girls. So like when Keller has like he he gets so fixated that that's enough for him now to go and cross some lines that are clearly immoral, but he has like a reason that he's doing it and he's justifying it. But like how like how that flows with his religion, his faith, and how he's still trying to convince himself. And then you also see it come together when he brings uh, Terrence Howard's character Franklin. Uh, Joy's dad into the picture and tells him like, "Hey, I've I've got Alex. I'm trying to get information out of him." And Franklin's just like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, we gotta leave it to the cops. Like, if you think he knows something, you need to tell the cops that." But yeah, so Franklin is is not about it. He can't seem to convince himself that what uh, Keller is doing is appropriate. It's actually his wife, played by Viola Davis, Nancy, who says, "Like, you know." We won't we won't do anything. We'll just let Keller do his thing. It's just an interesting dilemma that we find Keller in because he's this super religious guy who is breaking all the rules of morality for the purpose of finding his daughter. So it's not like he's doing it for immoral purpose. It's just what he is doing is immoral. He's been pushed into it, but he honestly, to a degree, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but I felt that he portrayed Cal, uh, Hugh Jackman portrayed Keller in a way that was I mean he was almost familiar in the situation that he was in um, you know obviously there was a morality struggle there because he you know he's a very religious person he's constantly reciting prayers and you know every kind of quiet moment but at the same time he didn't have trouble jumping into this you know into this role that he was pushed into right he he's ready to break the rules. You know, once he realizes that it has to be done, he's just ready to do it. Uh, on the other hand, Franklin is kind of the, you know, the, the moral voice here. Um, and I thought their two characters, I mean, that's kind of what you are constantly seeing when you have the two of them on screen is the morality struggle there. Right. I mean, Birch is constantly trying to draw the lines and he's, he's like, this is wrong. We can't be doing this. And Keller just tells him, no, look, it's, it's this guy or it's our daughters. And that, that, you know, that's brought up several times Uh, to your point. I mean, it's almost repetitive to a degree, Uh, but you know, he's a survivalist. He's trained himself to take matters into his own hands and he doesn't feel really any remorse for that. Um, On the other hand, Franklin is totally uncomfortable with it. And it's only his wife who actually, you know, makes him a little bit more comfortable with it because Franklin's morality eventually bends, right? Because him and him and his wife, Nancy, right, they settle on, you know, we're not going to help him anymore, but we won't stop him either. You know, as far as we're concerned, we, we don't know about this anymore is actually what Nancy says. And so... he has this moral compass that he's trying to to reconcile but you know the situation and the tension of the situation you know eventually makes him bend there too not all the way like keller but you know he does give in to to you know and meets him halfway there so i mean i thought that was really interesting to watch and you know there's kind of another aspect that plays into this which is Keller clearly feels a degree of ineptitude here, right? So like you were saying earlier, they they feel so sure in what they're doing. Keller does and Loki does. They're so sure that the decisions that they've made are the ones that, you know, are the most effective in the situation, that they're making the right call. But at the same time, you can see that they're uncertain whether they are moving forward in the right path or whether they're going to make it out of this situation. Um, and, you know, that's Keller for Keller. It's, it's the ineptitude of a father, right? His inability to keep his daughter safe. Um, and, and he takes that out on Loki a lot. Franklin, on the other hand, he, he's more consigned, I think, to, to the reality of what's going on. Um, I thought it was kind of, you know, I did note at one point that if, Franklin, as a black man, was doing what Keller was doing and just, you know, shoving cops out of the way and attacking a witness or, you know, somebody who had just been let out of custody. Um, he would not be doing so well, you know. So 
Yeah, he probably would have been put in jail like at the first instance of it, and he wouldn't have anything else going <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. So, I mean, they have different practicalities that are playing into this as well. I mean, just Keller is essentially this hardened character who not only knows that he needs to do whatever he has to do, but is comfortable doing that. And, you know, he, he thinks he's okay doing whatever he has to do, breaking whatever rules he has to break. And Franklin does not operate in the same way. Um, you know, he draws the lines much more, you know, much more solid lines and he's not willing to cross them. Um, so that was a really interesting struggle to watch. I, you know, I thought that their acting was really good on that point. And yeah, it, it, it was really conveyed throughout the movie as a, as a constant theme. Well, we also learned from like Keller's upbringing when Detective Loki is uh, searching into his past after Alex disappears again, which is uh, Keller kidnapping him. So Detective Loki is looking into it and he sees that Keller's father had committed suicide, who was a cop in the city. He had a place, the apartment building where Alex is being held. And we, we see that Keller has that building is like, you know, deteriorating. It's abandoned. He hasn't put any time and effort into fixing it up. So like we, we can assume that, you know, that suicide, uh, Keller was in his teens when that happened. He hasn't grown out of what the suicide did to him. Like it's still a part of who he is. Maybe that's what hardened him initially. It's what made him so independent and like like you said, a survivalist because he didn't have a father after his teen years. Yeah. Okay. So I actually wanted to talk about that. I mean, I, I had kind of an interesting thought as I was uh, unpacking those scenes. Um, maybe this is going a little too far, but I, I thought there might be an underlying assumption there that Keller had something to do with his father's death. Um, it seems like Keller does not have the best memories of his father. And to your point, you know, he was probably very young when his father supposedly committed suicide. But, it, you know, in the very opening scene of the movie, he's telling his son, Ralph, uh, as they're, you know, driving back from a hunt you know he's like you know like if there's one good thing that your father that my father that your grandfather you know taught me it's that you got to be pre prepared for anything uh you got to be able to to handle any situation when things go wrong and you know so that that is where he picked up his his survivalism from you know he he almost he that that suggests that he doesn't even you know rely on anyone including his family right he takes everything into his own responsibility there's just there's some there's some weird tones here because keller clearly has some stuff going on i mean he has he has some dark past right because i just i thought he was too comfortable doing what he was doing like without any hesitation and then the other thing you know when loki is actually looking up that article that talks about uh keller's dad's suicide it, it actually mentions you know it just it just says he was found in an apparent suicide in his home there was no there was no suicide note that was found associated with the death um and so he kind of he kind of mentions all of that and then i also did think it was a kind of a weird contrast that you know Keller, who is this super organized, super prepared guy, is just letting this this entire, you know, building just in this he's leaving it in this deteriorated, just decrepit state and he's not renovating it or anything. And then you see the way that his like basement is like super organized. And I just Yeah, Detective Loki, he mentions it, right? He's like not as organized as your basement. Yeah. So like I, I don't know. That I just got this weird vibe from there that like, you know, and I mean maybe they maybe they focused on it a little bit. They did zoom in on it a bit, but I thought there's there's something there. I don't want to say, yeah, Keller killed his father. Maybe he did, but like that that might be a little bit of a jump. But it, it just seemed like there's there's something going on there. There's some sort of darker past that Keller is, you know, not dealing with uh, and it's kind of lingering over him. And I think that like kind of comes out in this in this movie, in this situation. Right. He just he jumps back into his survivalist role in in the snap of a finger. Right. All right. Yusuf, tell me, did you see the ending coming? Well, I shouldn't say the ending. Did you see uh, Holly being the uh, kidnapper? Uh, I did not. I mean, um, it, it's it's I, I wouldn't say that it's completely uh, impossible to predict because she is a character who is on screen for, you know, a decent amount of the film. Um, and, you know, her nephew, Alex Jones, is the one who is under the most scrutiny throughout the movie. So she's, you know, just adjacent to him. But I, I you know, I, I didn't really point my finger at her. And it wasn't until, you know, kind of it wasn't until her confrontation with 
with Keller, or I suppose actually um, when Joy wakes up in the hospital, that's when the puzzle pieces st- kind of started fitting together in my in my mind. And they all fall together so quickly once you kind of uh, once you catch on a little bit, um, it's it's really easy to see these things falling into place. But yeah, I, I mean, did you did you see it coming? I didn't. It, it wasn't given away to me, it, and it definitely didn't didn't ruin the film because her acting is. I thought she walked a really good line between. What am I trying to say? She basically she walked a really good line between you know being a little bit eerie and being a little bit dark, but you know not taking that. Yeah, not not taking that too far. There was like kind of an innocence that you felt sorry for her throughout the movie. And and but you know, neither of those things were to an extreme. So, you know, she was she played her character just perfectly that, you know, you could see her being this uh, you know, this demon in the end. You know, you didn't see that coming until it was kind of told on the screen. So, um I thought she she walked the line perfectly there. Yeah, so I didn't see it coming, but it didn't surprise me either. Like you said, mm-hmm. you once you look back, like, oh, yeah, she was definitely creepy. She was not, uh, she has something that she was hiding for sure. Only time, I mean, I think it became obvious right before uh, Joy is in the hospital is when Keller goes for the first time to her place to just to talk to her because this is after he's losing hope with Alex because Alex is not giving enough information. Actually, Alex had just mentioned like the mazes. So Keller goes over and he mentions the mazes or something about a maze to uh, yeah. Holly. And Holly has a reaction that kind of tells you like, oh, she knows what, what uh, he's talking about here. Um, but I, I thought it was, I mean, to have that good diversion with Bob and Bob Taylor's entire like fixation with role playing a kidnapper where he gets like mannequins and buries them. He's the one who sneaks into Joy and Anna's house to like steal a piece of their clothing. One thing I didn't get about like Bobby Taylor's entire story was I didn't get the snakes bit that the, he has these snakes in his house. The whole that was a good diversion where I was pretty convinced it was him, especially when they say, oh, we got clothes, positive uh, identification by the parents. But then you find out that the blood there was not any human blood. It was pig blood. And that's like where we see, oh, Detective Loki or Grace Grace Dover's uh, information about, oh, she thinks Anna came in the house and left was actually very important because that's how Detective Loki figures out, oh, that's how Bob got like the clothes. It's not that he did anything. Somehow I had kind of forgotten about that. I I had kind of just, you know, in the... in the in the whole sequence of watching the parents identify the clothing and everything in my head, I was just like, well, you know, well, there's no way around that. You know, he had the clothing and I just it totally did not occur to me that, you know, we just watched somebody sneak into their homes um, and, you know, creep around in the children's bedrooms. So, uh, yeah, that kind of, I, you know, maybe I should have realized that, but that caught me by surprise a little bit. You know, that that was the perfect distraction to kind of take the eyes off of Holly Jones in those in those moments where, you know, uh, where Keller is kind of doing his penance. And another part of the story that, I mean, you had to know it was significant when it happened. When he finds that dead body in the priest's uh, home, like in the cellar or whatever. Yeah. Like behind the fridge. Clearly, that was something significant because out of all the sex offenders that he's looking at, he finds this one body and it's just like a mystery death. Uh, Obviously, I'm sure most people who watch the movie like had the idea, like, all right, this is going to come back somewhere. And we find out that this happens to be Holly's late husband. We never are told what happens to the priest, right? The priest just like, I guess they arrest him and keep him in jail. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying like in terms of the story, like they have these droppings of clues here and there. And then they had the distraction of Bob to make you think that maybe he's involved. But yeah, so we have the dead body. And then the priest says that this person came to him to confess. They confessed that they had killed over like 15 or like 16 children. I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember this right now, but did the, did the guy tell the priest like, hey, I don't want to like live anymore or something like I want you to kill me? Or did the priest decide like, whoa, you did all this bad stuff. I'm going to kill yeah, you. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the priest suggests that the the guy came to him for confession, but also you know, made it clear that he wasn't going to be able to stop, that he was going to kill more. And so the priest convinces him to come back to his house and, and, you know, deals with him. So I think that was, uh, you know, the priest taking things into his own hands. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, the, 
it wasn't the well this is actually this is holly jones's husband right that we find out later so um it, but it's not him you know giving in and saying you know i can't live with myself anymore it was mu- very much the the priest taking things into his own hands uh, and the priest actually you know says this is much earlier in the movie uh, before we hear Holly Jones say the same exact words, but the priest says he said he was waging a war with God. Um, and so, you know, mm-hmm. I, you, you don't you, I didn't realize the significance of that, of course, at the moment. But yeah, you, you, thinking back, you kind of had to know that that was going to play in. I mean, you know, we're talking about a kidnapping and then we just come across a priest who killed a man for doing 16 kidnappings and murders of children. So um, it had to be significant somehow, I suppose. Well, they also had, we talked about Bob's like distraction, but they definitely made it seem like Alex was very involved. I mean, we know he was involved, but he he is clearly mentally handicapped. So we know he didn't, like he wasn't alone in it. But we have when Keller obviously confronts him at the police station and he says that thing about they didn't cry until I left them. And then later Keller is like sneaking around their house or not sneaking around. He's just waiting outside, just scoping the house. And we see Alex come out with the dog and he like chokes the dog, right? He like picks him up with the leash. And then he starts uh, humming the jingle bells or singing it the same like Batman version that uh, the kids were singing on Thanksgiving. So it makes it like so clear to us as the audience, like, all right, this guy was definitely involved. And it kind of gives you the excuse, like, all right, so what Keller is about to do here, which is kidnap him. Like he has like every right to do that. Like these three like sequences of uh, they didn't cry until I left them. This this kid is clearly demented in the sense that he's just talking this dog for no reason. And then he's singing that Jingle Bells. It's uh, it's like. It goes from one set to the next set of clues to either divert you or bring you closer. It's really doing both because we see it all ties back together. Like Bob Taylor is involved with uh, with the whole Holly and her husband, like the kidnapping stuff. Alex is one of the first kids to be kidnapped. Like I don't know. It's 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 just so well done, and this like goes into the direction and plot, which you gave a hundred. And like thinking back, like how well it was like paced throughout all of this pretty complicated but very clear while you're watching it with the with the mystery element there like a proper amount of it like it's not too confusing like i said it, it's it's just really good man yeah really, i mean i just really appreciate good. that everything actually did come together but there you know nobody stands on screen at any point and connects all the dots for you but you know it's there you can you, you can piece it together there's something i really have to appreciate about that especially because like i said typically something that comes together like annoyingly perfectly like it would almost you know it's like too perfect and you're kind of annoyed by it but I didn't feel that at all especially you know I think that does factor in because you know you don't have some uh somebody narrating what just happened on screen so I think that helps but you know I just I thought everything comes together like a puzzle piece and that there's something definitely to appreciate there um and you know to your point I mean the reason that the the distractions are so good um you know of alex jones of bobby taylor it has i mean these guys are really good at playing mentally disturbed characters right i mean i mean alex jones does an excellent job i mean you most definitely you are convinced the whole way that there's something messed up about this guy and there is but you know it turns out not really to be the the sinister thing that we thought you know at least not from his perspective and um you know on the other hand, Bobby Taylor uh, is is played by, uh, I'm going to try this name, David Dustmalkian. And I don't know if you recognized him, but I've seen him in one thing before, and that's The Dark Knight. And in that movie, he plays a paranoid schizophrenic who is attracted to the Joker. Um, and, you know, eventually he's the one that he, he's the one that that confronts Harvey uh, and lets him know that, you know, we've we, we have your wife and and Harvey snaps and, uh, you know, takes him into an alley and threatens him with a gun. And that's kind of the the unraveling of his character in both those. Mo- I mean, he plays this mentally disturbed individual so well. I mean, I was creeped out from the second I saw him on screen before he even did anything of note. And so, I mean, these guys really they 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 take your attention off of everyone else in in a way that I mean I I don't think the movie functions as well as it does without their acting and you know then as things wind down and Bobby Taylor is being interrogated by by Loki um, and eventually you know shoots himself in the mouth I mean at the same time I felt so bad for him and you know you can't really explain it because at this point 
at this point, it doesn't make sense to sympathize with him because at this point, we're led to believe that he's the one who who murdered the children. Yeah, we're pretty like convinced. Yeah, of it and point. like I mean, I don't, I couldn't explain that at the time. It, you know, it just it's just his acting that I, I felt like a deep sympathy for him in that moment. Um, but you know, can we get into this? Can we talk about exactly what goes on with each of these characters and you know what their backstories are? Because I mean, I thought that like you know, there's a lot of character depth going on here, but you can't really piece it all together until, you know, you have all the parts, you know, working in conjunction. So once you know what's going on at the end, then you can really see what's going on with each of these characters. Um, So let's dive into that. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go through Holly and her husband's like story? And then as we get to each character, yeah, I think that makes sense because they are the ones who, who kind of push everything into motion. um, And their story begins well before everyone else's. So, I mean, let's start there, right? So Holly and her husband, um, they have a son and they are very devout, right? You know, they are, they, they live out of an RV. They're going around handing out religious materials on the road in the summers. um, And their, their son, their very young son gets cancer um, and and he eventually dies from it, we're led to believe. And that kind of breaks them, right? Um, that, that breaks their faith in God. Yeah. Um, they can't understand why that would, you know, you know, it's such a hard thing to deal with. And they can't understand, you know, why a, a just God would let that happen. You know, that's something that we hear a lot. But I mean, you know, it's true when you go through that strife, it's hard to understand you know, how something could happen to an innocent child like that. And so um, that breaks them and that breaks their faith in God. And not only that, it makes them want to lash out against God, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's when they decide, all right, we're going to wage a war against God himself. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to take away from other people like God took away from them, which is they're going to go and kidnap kids. And okay, so we know that the body that we find at the priest's house was Holly's late husband. He says there was over 16 kids that they kidnapped and killed. So if that's 16 that they killed, then we also know the fir- one of the first ones that they kidnapped was Alex Jones. He was, uh, his real name was Barry, and he was kidnapped at a young age. And clearly, I mean, I don't know if it's like a true like genetic mental uh, handicap that Alex has or it's just the way that they raised him is that they stunted his like mental growth. Right. So we have him. He's one of the first ones. They, they basically tell him like, hey, you're our nephew. And then we have Bob Taylor, who is another one of them that they kidnap, but they don't kill him. I assume he got away. I don't think they let the kids go. It's just that they either. I think Bob Taylor. Yeah, I think Bob Taylor was just, you know, an early mistake. And so he gets away after after three weeks is what Loki tells us. Right. Loki mentions that Bob Taylor was kidnapped as a child um, and he got away after three weeks. Um, He was heavily drugged um, and they never caught the guy who did it. So, um, you know, that is basically, you know, one of their early kidnappings that just doesn't work out. Um, he get the, the kid gets away, but clearly that never leaves Bobby Taylor at all because yeah. he goes on to, you know, lead an adult life. And um, we have to talk about also what they did with the children, actually, right? So it's important to note that this had nothing to do with the children, right? Um, there's no, uh, there's no pedophilia going on here. There's no, you know, they, they, they did keep Alex Jones, but the rest of them, they weren't looking to replace their son or anything like that. They were actually attacking the parents in this case, right? It was all about making other people lose faith in God. Yeah. Basically like have the parents suffer like they Yeah, suffered. And so what they're actually doing with the children is they're drugging them for a, a period of time and then they're, they're killing them. Um, however, in the meantime, they, it seems like they had a, they had, you know, this kind of this torture practice where they would make the children solve mazes. And they told the children, if you can solve all the mazes, you can go home. Um, And so Bobby Taylor is stuck with this, right? He cannot escape this experience that he went through um, mentally. And so he is constantly solving mazes because somehow he feels that if he can just solve one more maze, maybe he can be free of all of this. Um, and he never gets away from it, right? So he's stuck doing all these mazes. He's, you know, at some level, he he is still reliving this whole thing. So he is recreating um, the crimes that he went through, right? He is stealing 
um, and not, not really recreating, but just kind of mimicking them, right? So he's he's going and um, stealing or buying, yeah, yeah role, role playing. playing. There you go, yeah. buying children's clothes, um, also taking children's mannequins um, and like acting out the crimes on them, right? Beating them to death and burying them in his backyard. Um, he's soaking these children's clothes in blood, and then I, I didn't really understand what was going on here, but he had these little uh locked uh caskets with with snakes in them um and then he he had filled them with the the you know the blood covered children's clothes um so i'm i'm not exactly sure what's going on there but it's also made clear that holly jones and her husband they kept snakes um and alex also has an incident with one of the snakes so he's terrified of them but that also clearly rubbed off on bobby taylor and so he keeps snakes in his house he's he's trying to walk the line where he's trying to escape all of this but he can't so he's keeping all of the elements of his of his you know ordeal near him and in his home and you know it's kind of consuming him man that like that's a level of you know mental illness that i just (laughs) it was hard to watch him on screen really what he was going through and especially at his eventual suicide i mean you could really see the, the the pain on his face loki is slamming his head against the table and demanding him to explain, you know, where the children are, what the maze means. And he's just like, I I can't, I can't tell you what it means because I don't know what it means, but I can't, you know, I can't get away from it either. Yeah. He's like, Hey man, we're looking for the same answers here. Exactly. (laughs) I, we never get an explanation of why they ended up keeping Alex, but yeah, I mean, we can, we can assume, right. Maybe the the first time around or whatever, they were, they were really trying to replace their son and they, they end up keeping him right. Or, you know, something along those lines. So, so Alex is, um how we know that like joy and anna get kidnapped so on thanksgiving day when they're out and playing they come across that rv it's alex's rv uh alex is in it so he sees them so when Al- uh, joy and anna go out on their own to go from joy's house to anna's we can assume that alex like went up to them or drove up to them and said hey do you want to play in the rv or get in the rv and that's probably how he took them but he, I, I don't think he himself like has the intention to like kidnap the kids and then uh, like hold them. But when he took him home, uh, Holly, uh, being demented and ruthless and waging her war, decides to you know keep them and kidnap them. And beyond that, that's like the extent of Alex's role. Yeah, and Holly is pretty. She's pretty explicit about it, right? She points out very... Yeah, exactly. She wants everyone to know like, hey, he is innocent of... Pretty much he's just guilty of having them play on his RV. Yeah, and, play and with she him. says, I was the one that decided they weren't going home. So, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, Alex, um, to, to his... You know, he hasn't escaped his situation either, right? Uh, although he seems to be more, you know, he is the one that is, I guess, displaying more of the Stockholm syndrome type scenario here. But uh, he he hasn't escaped his past either because the, the, you know, he drives around in the RV and he parks outside this random house and just kind of takes a nap out there or whatever. That house happens to be his childhood home that he was abducted from, uh, yep. which, you know, we find out because that's exactly. how Loki, Loki actually, you know, he, he thought he thinks it's odd that, you know, this RV was parked outside his house. So he looks into it and he finds out that the people that used to live there had, an, you know, a child abduction happen to them as well, follows up with them and, you know, follows up with the mother. And she says, yeah, I mean, we, we never found him. And I'm sure that the same people are responsible. Do you think like subconsciously Alex like knows like this is like where he used yeah, to Yeah, I, I was wondering about or... that. You know, it's one of two things, right? Either he he can't put the pieces together, but he just feels something and he you know, he he feels some sort of attraction here and he you know, he keeps going back to this house and he, he can't he can't process why that is happening to him or on the other hand, he knows but he can't bring himself to, you know, confront it and go and, you know, talk to his 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 birth parents. Because maybe that would be an admission that, you know, he's he's been an abducted child his entire life. Um, and he obviously has some sort of, you know, there's some sort of compassion between him and Holly Jones. So, again, it, it's he, he has come to express some sort of, you know, some sort of sympathy, some sort of love for his captor. So, um, you know, it's mentally, I guess, maybe too much for him. So it's one or the other scenario. But um, yeah, again, it was kind of jarring to watch. Like, to your point, maybe he is just a, a slow kid or, or maybe the fact that he has an IQ of a 10 year old is all down to the fact that he went through this as a child and never recovered from it. 
I mean, he definitely has some um, intelligence because he knows not to say what he leads on, like with Keller tells him like the whole, oh, they didn't cry until I left them. Like he knew not to say yeah, that. To yeah, it's true. Like, and I mean, he knew not to like mention anything about the kids when he could have easily been like, hey, yeah, I played with them on the RV. Right. Knowing what not to say uh, as much as what he does say, you know, knowing what not to say expresses your intelligence as well. Right. So um, he stays quiet yeah. other than that one moment where he knows he can get away with it and only Keller will hear him. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely true. Um, but yeah, like there is, you know, just like with Bobby Taylor, this, you know, it's, it never gets away from him. Um, I think the other time we see this come out is, uh, you know, towards the end where Keller's getting desperate, he's torturing him in that shower with the scalding water. Alex starts muttering to himself he's like I'm, I'm not alex i'm not alex i'm not alex and he goes on you know there's a, there's some other nonsense that he's kind of spewing but he says something along the lines of i just wanted to play and he never showed up he never came back i'm not even sure what he's talking about there if he's if he's referring to um you know maybe he was waiting for somebody and that was the incident where he was then abducted while he was waiting for somebody that never showed up. Or maybe he's referring to Holly Jones's father, who he, you know, eventually takes on as as a father figure of his own, who then disappears in the middle of the night and never comes back because, you know, the priest killed him. Um, I'm not even sure what he's referring to there. But yeah, there's a lot of mental uh, baggage going on here. Uh, and, you know, rightfully so, obviously, with him and Bobby Taylor. So those are the two kind of victims that we see on screen who kind of survived Holly and her husband's madness. Um, the rest of them, the other, you know, 15 or whatever, or 16, I guess, you know, we, we can assume they were, they were all killed and that they will be dug up in, in Holly's uh, backyard at some point uh, by the, the, the police team as they're kind of excavating that whole backyard. Yeah. So, okay. Now we get to, we know like there's these 16 kids. We talked about Alex and Bob uh joy and anna they are initially held up like under that like trans am outside in like the dugout and yeah the pit outside uh underneath the underneath the the driveway right well it's not really a driveway it's just like she has what seemingly is a dead car but it starts but people don't know that and under that she has like plywood and like which covers the hole that she has dug out for uh victims so initially, that's where the girls are. And then she brings them into the house. Uh, she did mention like she just like wanted them to like play or something. And uh, that's when Joy happens to escape, runs out of the house and is found. And that's how she ends up in the hospital. But Anna is still there. Now, this was a creepy part. When Keller is informed, like, oh, they found Joy. She's in the hospital. Keller goes to the hospital and joy is like looking at him like with fear and it's like you were there and we're like whoa what 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 does she mean that he was there but keller immediately understands that to be like this is holly's house for sure it's all holly's house because he books it and he likes goes straight there whereas um loki who's trying to talk to keller assumes that uh keller is going to be going to the abandoned building this is another case of them being so sure of what they're doing i mean keller i mean keller he knows exactly what he wants to do and he could just stop and tell the police look it was holly jones and you know <laughs> avoid the scenario that happens but he's going to handle things by himself he knows what he's doing and he just takes off on the other hand loki is like oh i know where you're going bro i know where you're going and i'm gonna i'm gonna see you there and he heads to the totally wrong place. <laughs> he goes to Keller's father's house thinking that, you know, he's going to confront Alex Jones there, which he eventually does find there. But he doesn't find Keller because Keller was not headed there at all. Well, yeah. So this is where uh, Keller now gets kidnapped, right? Or uh, not kidnapped, but held captive by Holly. Like, get rid of everything. And then she takes him out and puts him in the pit that she has dug out. And she tells him, like, this is where your daughter was. And if you want to see your daughter or have a chance to see her, do as I say. So Keller does do what she says. Like he handcuffs himself and she shoots him in the leg and he goes into the into the pit. And in the pit is like where he does have a sign that definitely his daughter was there because he sees her red whistle in there. And then this is like the first time we hear him pray in a while. And he like makes a prayer to God to, uh, I think, to keep his daughter safe. Or to help them find, uh, f help him find his daughter. Also, like you said, Loki, he goes over to Keller's father's house or the apartment. In the apartment, he finds Alex 
in like solitary confinement in that little like makeshift cellar that or cell that Keller made. And then the police department or the captain or whatever is telling Detective Loki, like, you need to go tell Holly about Alex. Like Loki doesn't even want to do it. He's like, all right, fine. He like reluctantly goes over. And then when he goes over to Holly's house, that's when he sees that she's acting suspicious. Like when he looks yeah, through he the hears window. something and nobody's answering the door. So he he, he steps through the door. And uh, and yeah, as he's like creeping around, uh, he sees a picture of of Holly's husband and notices the necklace around his around his neck. And it's the same necklace that he found on the body in the priest's home. And it's the same. Yeah. The, the, the necklace is a maze, which is the same maze that that uh, Bobby Taylor kept drawing. And at that point, it just starts clicking for him that. It pieces everything together for him, and he realizes, all right, that this guy was her husband. They've kidnapped people before, so he's like 100% sure at this point that uh, Anna is going to be in the house. And uh, he does confront Holly. Holly has just drugged Anna. She has her gun, so she does shoot at him. Loki shoots her twice. He's dead. I think she grazes, like a bullet grazes Loki's head, at least based on like what you yep. see from the injury. He's like bleeding, but he gets Anna. This is one of my favorite scenes. So like this whole like slow burn of the anxiety and the, the, the pressure that's building up that drive to the hospital. Like, man, that is fast paced. And you know what? Yeah, I, yeah, I kept thinking when I was watching that that scene. Yeah, you're right. Like I, I was I was on the edge of my seat the whole way. But, you know, this is a thriller. We've just been shown who the culprit is and the culprit was shot dead. The tension in the story should by all accounts be winding down at this point. And it just does not. That drive is frantic. You know, he's got, uh, he's, yeah, it's yeah, one of I my mean, favorite scenes. That, that's where things, I mean, really pick up in a in a in a different way. I mean, he's he's bleeding out of his head. It's dripping into his eye. He's swerving. The snowstorm that they had mentioned earlier is finally here. Um, his vision's going blurry. I mean, I felt like I was in the car in that scene. I don't know about you, but I mean, the way he kept. Uh, you know, he kept tailing every car and like he's swerving and he's almost hitting the car and then swerving out of the way the last minute. I mean, I was getting that feeling in my stomach where, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the passenger seat of a car and somebody's, you know, not driving particularly well. I was getting that feeling just watching that scene. Yeah, I mean, like, they, he put in a lot of um, like first person like point of view shots, like from inside the car, like the rain droplets are like impede like you can't like his vision is bad like the blood like you said is getting in his eyes yeah like, we haven't talked a lot about cinematography either but like i mean that that was that was something that i thought was really special i mean i i you know i really felt uh out of you know it was like an out-of-body experience i really felt like i was in that moment so um you know that, that that's something some, there's a lot of moments like that i think but that's one where it really shined most definitely yeah so this is like where the movie more or less is like concluding i mean it's not over yet but we found the girls, everything has been pieced together. Like we, as the audience, Detective Loki, um, like we know everything that's happened. The only thing that's left is Keller is still holed up in that pit outside of the house. And then for, so this is kind of interesting. Like, I don't know if it's like the next day or a couple of days. I don't know how long it's been since uh, Loki gets out of the hospital. And I mean, he's clearly still freshly injured. He has like his band-aids on and stuff. And he goes over to Holly's house even though the case is over, there's nothing left to be done other than that Keller is still Everyone, missing. Nobody thinks that Keller's been been hurt or something. Everyone thinks that Keller, now that Alex Jones has been found, he's on the run because he's going to be arrested as soon as they find him, right? Yeah. So that's actually what every, everyone exactly, thinks is yeah. going on. Nobody's looking for him. I mean, they're looking for him on the run, so... Yeah, so, I mean, so we get to the house. You have, like, the forensic team, like, like you said, excavating, and... Like after they leave, you know, we hear like the whistle. So we know like, okay, Loki heard the whistle too. He's not even sure about it a few times. Like you see him like make a reaction. Like, I don't know if I'm hearing things right now or what, but the whistle like repeats it like three or four times. And then he looks over to the car and we can assume he's going to go and find him at this point, but that's where the movie ends. I thought like that last, um, that last scene was like almost unnecessary, but it, it just was, it, it really I was glad that they put it in there. I should say I that. was actually I loved that final shot. Um, and I, I think it plays like a pretty important role because there's just uh, there's something about the way that the movie trails off where I mean, again, they've hit this balance of they've answered all the questions that you are wondering about in this movie. But 
there's still enough going on that you're wondering how it's going to play out and they don't just give you the answers. You know what I mean? That last scene of Loki just kind of listening off in the distance gives you this, this incomplete feeling. I mean, again, as the credits are rolling, I'm still playing out all the scenarios that are happening after the movie ended. You know, I love the fact that they end it with that and they don't show us what happens. I mean, I, I, I can't talk enough about that scene. And that's where most thrillers probably fall flat on their face. You know, just speaking of the ending, the absolutely terrifying thing is that like, what would you, this is pretty much a happy ending, right? But there's like some unanswered questions, right? Is that, is, is, is that fair to qualify it as a happy ending nonetheless? Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a happy ending in the sense that, uh, well, the, the, neither of the girls die. They, they come back home safely. This kidnapping ring that was being done by Holly, like that stuff is solved. So there's closure for the other families that may have lost children. Uh, particularly Alex Jones gets to go home, right? There's an article that, yeah, there's an article that he was, you know, his actual name was Barry and he was reunited with his family. So, yeah, I would, that is categorically like a happy ending. Like everything works out as it could work out based on the circumstances. Only thing is, uh, Bob Taylor commits suicide, but even that, you could say, like, he was living, like, a tortured life. Like, it's almost like, you know, maybe he doesn't have to, like, live through that anymore. So here's my question on that, though. Because, I, I mean, the, <laughs> the more you think about it, it's actually kind of... I mean, I just felt so, like, empty about this ending because there's a bit of a... Bobby Taylor is our example of the guy who made it out, right? He was kidnapped for three weeks um, and then he escaped. Um, he was drugged just like these two girls were. So it's a happy ending in that they make it out. But I mean, as far as what we know about how their lives are going to be extremely difficult. I mean, they were held captive for over a week and they managed to get away just like he is. Mentally, this will probably never leave them. Um, you know, they are Bobby Taylor in in a sense, right? And I mean, the the one... Like the one scene that really bothered me was where, um, you know, they they wheelchair Anna into Loki's hospital room to kind of say, you know, you know, his her mom's like, you know, he, she wanted to say thank you to her hero. And she just looks dead in her eyes the entire time. She doesn't say a word. She doesn't react. I mean, there's there's obviously a mental toll that has been taken and that's probably not coming back. Yeah. I mean, just as much as the title prisoners is like the physical, actual imprisonment of like the kidnapped kids is most mostly about like the the prison in your mind that you that you get locked into and like you mentioned all these examples of loki of uh keller and like even now of his daughter of bob of alex and even of holly and her uh, late husband right like they were imprisoned by this like mentally to this idea that we have to wage a war against God and have everyone feel like what we feel. Yeah, they couldn't cope with their son's death. So um, that's, a, that's a whole prison on its own, right? Yeah, everyone's dealing with something in this movie. I thought that's something that's particularly well done here. But every, every character, major or minor, is kind of bringing a different perspective in terms of, you know, just how they deal with things and, and you know, dealing with difficulties in your life. So, you know, I thought that was that was really... Uh, well balanced throughout the movie it's masterful it really is i mean based on your score man you gave it a 95 i think overall yeah like, overall <laughs> so... like you you like this movie i mean even with me i give it an 88 which is which is great yeah. this is a this is like a must-watch movie for almost anyone i can't imagine like a type of person that wouldn't enjoy this unless I guess maybe uh, it's a little gory at yeah. points if like people can't handle the blood or the violence. You have to have the stomach for um, it. That's that's about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But beyond that, I mean, it's uh, like enjoyable in the sense that it's it's entertaining. Not that it's gonna again it might have a happy ending but it's not necessarily a happy movie at all yeah and i mean like we said that happy ending comes with a lot of caveats so i mean there's there's i think there's something for everyone in this movie as long as you can handle the goriness of it if you can handle the the tension of it i mean it it is it is really something special to watch so i mean that te that tension is what you want right i mean that's that's what the movie is yeah made i mean for, that's 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 a thriller defined give you that feeling yeah, exactly so um, one final note, I just got to let you know right now, executive producer, Mark Wahlberg, what a genius. Oh my God, why did you bring him up? It just means he put money in the you, movie. You gave man. a Mark Wahlberg movie an 88. Look at you. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he is a executive producer. 
doesn't mean anything. <laughs> he has money. Good for him. <laughs> he knew which project would give him a good return. Uh, yeah, he knows how to pick them at least, right? So I, okay, you yeah, can sure. give him that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that's about it, right? I think that's. I think. I think that's it. I could talk about this movie ad nauseum, but I think we're in a good spot here. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to this production of the Twice Over. If you would like to keep up with us, please subscribe wherever you listen and check out our website, thetwiceover.com. And follow us at The Twice Over on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon or you can just tell a friend about this podcast. And finally, if there are any comments or feedback, please email them to us at comments at thetwiceover.com or you can just tweet at us. The music you hear is from Amerigo Gazaway. Check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. We'll be back next week with another episode. 